In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. In 2016, the Cleveland Browns traded the number two pick in the NFL draft to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles used that pick to take a quarterback from North Dakota State by the name of Carson Wentz. That draft was the official start to the Sashi Brown era in Cleveland, and instead of staying put and selecting Wentz at number two, the Browns and company made a clear decision to stockpile draft picks and address the black hole of needs up and down the Browns roster instead. That decision was polarizing. The Browns had been heavily connected to Wentz throughout the pre-draft process and were one of the only teams to make it through a blizzard to watch Wentz's pro day in North Dakota in person. Meanwhile, Wentz blossomed almost immediately in Philly. He beat the Browns in his very first NFL start, then turned into a borderline MVP candidate during the 2017 season. Wentz tore his ACL in Week 14 of that year, with the Eagles sitting at 11-2, and and would have to watch from the sidelines as Nick Foles led the Eagles to their first-ever Super Bowl victory. But a consensus was formed. The Browns had made a huge mistake in passing up on Wentz, and it felt as if player and franchise would be linked forever. But Wentz has steadily been on the decline since the heights of that 2017 season. Injuries limited him to just 11 games in 2018, and then a concussion knocked him out of the Eagles' wildcard loss in a playoff game against the Seahawks last season. Fast forward to today, and Wentz is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL as the Eagles sit at 3-5-1 and one in the abysmal NFC East. As the Browns and Eagles gear up to play each other for the first time since that opening day of 2016, I wanted to talk to Ben Solak, an Eagles fan and writer for the Draft Network, and someone who has closely followed Wentz's career since the day he was drafted. Have the Browns ultimately been proven right by skewing Wentz for more draft picks? Was Paul D. Podesta correct when he said the Browns didn't see Wentz as a top-20 quarterback? Was waiting for Baker Mayfield the right move for the Browns? And where do the Eagles go from here? I'm Jordan Zern, and this is The Rebuild. All right, well, excited to welcome back. Actually, uh, Ben, I think you were my very first guest, to be honest with you, um, on the Rebuild podcast like two years ago, which is wild to think about. But um, Benjamin Solak, uh, he is a uh, college football writer and just writer extraordinaire in general for the Draft Network. He also does a lot of Eagles coverage over at Bleeding Green Nation. And as the Browns get ready to face off with the Eagles this weekend, I thought of no better person to come on and help me slander Carson Wentz. Uh, I'm sorry, I guess he's going to defend Carson Wentz. I don't know. Who knows what will happen? But uh, Ben, man, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm well, man. Thanks for having me on. I think, yeah, I, I, it was it was NFL draft time. I think we were talking mostly, you know, how to build around Baker Mayfield, which I think jury's still out as to how well 
they did there. I don't remember what I said. Hopefully I gave some good ideas. But yeah, it was a different capacity back then. It was. It was a very different time. Um, it was, I think, just before the Browns were uh, hired Freddie Kitchen. So uh, that feels like... Um, yeah, we talked about Freddie a lot. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a different time completely. Um, you know, I wanted to have you on, Ben, one, because, you know, I've obviously your work is fantastic and um, obviously the Eagles are sort of a specialty of yours. But, you know, the... <laughs> The Browns and Carson Wentz are all, are always going to be intrinsic, intrinsically, if I could pronounce that word right, uh, kind of linked. And we were talking about this a little bit in our, our DM back and forth before, before this. But if you remember in the 2016 draft, obviously the Rams moved up to the number one pick and they took Jared Goff. Um, and then the Eagles actually traded with the Browns, who had the number two pick in that draft, um, to move up and take Carson Wentz. And I think it was pretty disappointing to a lot of Browns fans at that time because you know, once the Rams moved up, obviously they were pretty heavily linked to Jared Goff for most of it and kind of made their intentions known. But, you know, the Browns were one of the only teams that, if I remember this correctly, at Carson Wentz's pro day, um, there was like a snowstorm or like something happened and the Browns were like the only NFL team that made it, like had their head coach make it out to his pro day. Um, and there's obviously, I think we all remember the very hilarious video of then sort of like offensive coordinator or he was like the QB coach. I forget exactly what Pep Hamilton's role with the Browns was with Hugh mm-hmm. Jackson, but Pep Hamilton spraying the <laughs> the ball Carson Wentz was throwing with water before a couple snaps because they wanted to see if he could play in the elements, um, which remains a, a hilarious video. Uh, I actually tweeted out a clip from it earlier uh, yesterday. But um, so I think a lot of people thought the the, the Browns were going to take Carson Wentz or they really kind of had their hearts set on one of those two quarterbacks. And then they trade out to eight. Then they trade back again. Um, I believe they traded with the Tennessee Titans. They traded out at eight and they go all the way back to 15 where they take Corey Coleman, who, um, you know, we all know how that went. So I think from that moment on, uh, a lot of fans either wanted Carson Wentz or were now like, oh, great. Like Carson Wentz is with the Eagles. He's going to tear up the league. This is uh, like, this is the Browns luck. Like this is exactly what happens. So, yeah. So, you know, this Browns Carson Wentz thing goes back um, a while. And, you know, the, the interesting part, Ben, I think you mentioned too, is I think like Browns fans pay more attention to Carson Wentz than Eagles fans. I don't even know if Eagles fans think about Baker Mayfield on, on like a weekly or monthly basis at all, because I think it's just a little bit different you know, Carson Wentz goes to the Eagles, um, you know, has very immediate success with that team. His first couple of years in the league were obviously really, really good. So, you know, Eagles fans didn't really have to pay attention to any other quarterbacks. Um, it is funny to me that myself included, like there is still a bit of a, you know, a watching of Carson Wentz, um, even as, you know, he's now into his fourth kind of like NFL season. Um you know, what is your sort of perspective, at least from the beginning of sort of this, the, the parallels between the Browns and Carson Wentz? And what do you remember about that 2016 draft? And was Carson sort of a guy that um, you hoped the Eagles uh, would be able to go up and take? Yeah, no, it's funny, right? When you when you said, you know, Eagles-Browns, we'll talk about Carson Wentz. First time the Wentz has played the Browns since he was a rookie. I was kind of like, oh, dang. You're right, because it's just not something that, that I don't know, stays on my radar, whereas you can totally get why it is for Browns fans. You know, I'm obviously very aware and enjoy telling Chicago fans all about Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, the quarterbacks that they passed on. So it, may, it makes sense that, you know, Browns fans kind of have a similar relationship with Wentz. It's funny. I went back in 2016. I was not 
in this field. You know what I mean? Like I was a, I was a big fan and I was trying to get into this field, but I wasn't there yet. That draft was in Chicago. I was in Chicago in school. I went to that draft and, and a, a reporter from Cleveland eight or Fox eight news in Cleveland, who I do not remember his oh, name. Wow. Oh, I video, wish you did. <laughs> video probably exists somewhere. Like was like, yo, can we like do an interview with you? Like as an Eagles fan about like what you think about the Carson Wentz trade. And I was like, sure. And this guy did not know what he was getting into. Cause I was like, well, <laughs> you look at the history of trades. Da, 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 right. So I was, I was super amped. Um, but no, I mean like, so I remember being there at that draft. I remember having that conversation and that dichotomy was very real at the time that the Browns were going to make this choice to accumulate picks and have flexibility for a different quarterback in the future rather than stay where they were and take that quarterback in, in either Wentz or Goff, whoever was going to be there. And that was obviously an extremely big deal. And it's funny to think fast forward five years, you know, looking at the 2021 draft and obviously like, I think Lawrence and Fields, uh, the, the quarterbacks coming up in this draft will be viewed as, as better prospects than Goff and Wentz were coming out. But if a team made a similar decision now, I don't think we'd look on it as so radical. So what Sasha Brown was doing at the time was, you know, truly like a radical reaction to kind of how much the Browns had suffered and how drastic of means were necessary to kind of turn this franchise around. Whereas now, I think if you had a team that said, listen, we're tanking, and we view this as the long-term build. And so our first priority is to accumulate picks. You look at even like what Miami's done over the last year or so. They sat, waited, and when it was time for their quarterback, then they went after him. You know, and, and so I think that, that it's a little bit more of a common idea now. We wouldn't view it as so wild. But at the time, I mean, that was the thing of the 2016 draft. It was these quarterbacks are going one and two. And the Rams got out for understandable reasons. Why did the Browns get out? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think if you think about it, yeah, right now, I do think it, it would not be looked at as such a crazy thing. But I think because, one, because Cleveland is always such a quarterback crazy town and the Browns were constantly looking um, for that guy to to come into the franchise and, and be that guy that, you know, there was so much sort of like, oh, no, like, here we go again. Like, they're passing on on this Wentz kid that could become the, you know, obviously people get attached immediately to these guys, especially through the draft. But yeah, that was Sashi Brown's first draft, and he made it very clear what he was going to do, trading back twice in the first round before they even made their mm-hmm. first pick. Um, and then, you know, I think as you go down a little bit down the road, I forget exactly what year it was that Paul D. Podesta said essentially that the Browns didn't see Carson Wentz as a, a top 20 quarterback. Um, which, you know, made made waves and was probably something like D. Podesta should have kept to himself, even if it was true. Like, I, I forget what platform or what interview it was that he said it, but he said it publicly and it was a little bit like, yeah, Paul, that's probably one you want to keep internally, um, especially because when he said it, um, Carson Wentz was uh, very, very good. So it sort of reflected right. pretty poorly on um, the Browns organization at that time. But they obviously, you know, the the Sashi Brown conversation is one that will go on forever, um, and especially in Cleveland. It was such a split down the line of how people felt about that front office. But it was very clear what Sashi Brown and um, and Paul DePodesta and Andrew Barry uh, were trying to do at that time. Um, and it was to address many of the the team needed so much. They ha- I was fully on board with it. Like they needed to tear the whole thing down and start over. And to do that. Um, you need those picks and they just decided they were going to wait on a quarterback because Carson Wentz wasn't their guy. And that sort of um, led to, you know, where we are now, but I do remember, you know, I I want to say, and I think I'm correct on this. It was Carson Wentz's first NFL game. They played the Browns that season. Um, 
I think it was in Philly. And um, Carson Wentz played very well. I remember he threw a dime. I think it was to Nelson Aguilar in the back of the end zone. Jordan Matthews, baby. Vanderbilt. Jordan Matthews, excuse me. Yes, he yeah. threw just a really beautiful pass. And I remember sitting there and just being like, God damn it. Like, yeah. this is like, of course this is going to happen. Browns were trotting out RG3. And RG3 got hurt late in that game because instead of running out of bounds, he tried to gain some extra yardage and got hit and, like, got pushed out of bounds and got hurt. And I 100% forgot about the RG3 era. Oh, my, oh my, oh goodness. my goodness. Well, it almost it, – it basically ended before – Right, it was that game. <laughs> yeah, it was that game. And so, like, the optics of that could not have been worse. Like, here's the quarterback the Browns specifically traded out of being able to pick, um, beating them in his first start as a rookie while the Browns were trying to salvage – this RG3 thing and he gets hurt in his first game. And um, what was sort of the excitement level? I mean, I, I feel like Philly sort of gravitated towards Carson immediately. Um, and then he played so well as a rookie that it just, it sort of seemed like it was a match made in heaven there. Yeah, no, if we could get, first game of his career, Carson Wentz back. Oh man, we <laughs> you know, that was a, that was a two touchdown, no pick game. And pretty much that alone, like, you know, it would be huge for us. Uh, that rookie season from Wentz was the sort of season where you were like, all right, that wasn't good. You know, I mean, the Eagles ended up, I think, about six and ten. Sure. Uh, Wentz also attempted a ton of passes in his rookie season, and that was a concern was that they were going to kind of throw his arm out. Um, but that rookie season from Carson was, you know, okay, they were this is good enough. There's enough here. There's very clearly a uh, uh, something worthy of developing. Like to spend the number two overall pick on this guy, even if you're you're not going to end up the first season with a winning record. He's got to look like he can be a dude that can elevate a team. And, of course, Howie Roseman was still, at the time, kind of flipping this roster over from the Chip Kelly era. So, you know, they had Ryan Matthews was their their leading running back. You know, their leading receivers were Jordan Matthews and Doriel Green Beckham and Nelson Aguilar. You know, like it was not necessarily a top unit. Now, they haven't really ever fully fixed that problem. It's four years later. We're still looking at this wide receiver room like, come on, can we get somebody here? Uh, obviously, they've cycled through a couple of running backs, and they've got Miles Sanders now. But what you saw flash in Carson Wentz was then obviously what came to fruition in 2017. And that was when I was like, all right, we did it. Like, this, he's good. Like, we we got a good quarterback, and there's nothing. Like, he, you don't play this well and then suddenly start playing really badly. And then guess what happened? <laughs> it is playing pretty badly. It's pretty unbelievable, man. I mean, you're just looking at like 33 touchdowns in 2017 to seven picks. Um, is just a pretty astonishing number for, you know, a guy in year two. His rating jumped up like 30 points. He had a 101.9 QB rating that second year. Um, you know, even year three, you know, he only still only had seven picks. Like he wasn't turning the ball over, um, at least through the air very often. But did you see anything from Wentz? You know, I, I sort of like jokingly, especially early on, you know, you would just, us in Cleveland, it was sort of a running joke. We'd kind of look for like anything negative that Carson Wentz right, did. Yeah. Like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Like he, sometimes he gets crazy when he runs out of the pocket. Like, look at this throw. That's insane. But, you know, it was mostly just, we knew he was good at that time. And it was just sort of us being bitter um, and trying to have some fun with it. But then I think, and you can probably speak way better on this, but um, especially from the games I've watched of him, this season. And obviously a lot has happened these last two years in Philly in terms of injuries, um, in terms of maybe some stuff with the play calling and Doug Peterson losing a little bit of that magic that he had earlier on. But like, there's just been a lot that's gone on around Carson Wentz in Philly. But I do think at least 
one thing I've noticed is like, I think Wentz always had a little bit of recklessness to him, but that was sort of part of like what made him Carson Wentz. Uh, mm-hmm. And it almost feels like that recklessness, that sort of sometimes when he has to escape the pocket, he just does some things that you are just like, why would you like throwing across the body or, you know, throwing while he's being tackled to the ground and that ball is absolutely going to get intercepted or just something like that. Like that's the one thing for me from, you know, the little I've been able to watch of Wentz over the years that seems like it's really gone to a really bad level. Like the flip side of maybe what it was um, earlier in his career. Like what have you, did you see signs early on that like, maybe he was towing a line and and at a certain point, like he could go to the wrong side of that line. Were there any warning signs early on that like later in his career that maybe this could go a different direction? Or is this kind of a, a shock to you what sort of happened these last couple of seasons with Wentz? No. Yeah. You're on the nose with it. And that's, I think one of the big advantages of, of watching a guy outside of the fan base, right? Like I cover the Eagles, but also like I grew up an Eagles fan. And so not only do I watch Carson Wentz in 2017 and see a good quarterback, I also want him to be a good quarterback. You know, that, that for me is a, is a rooting interest. And largely for the Eagles fan base, you have the, the same consequence, right? We want this guy to be good. 2017 was awesome. So he's awesome. And, and we don't really have to worry about anything else from the beginning, from the, the, the first day in North Dakota state, man, Wentz, does not believe on any given snap that the defense has him beat. Has never, will never, period. Oh, free rusher? I can get rid of this guy. Everybody covered? I can run around for a little bit longer. Linebacker coming in at full steam? I'm pretty big. You know, he is a never-say-die quarterback. And when he came out, there were Brett Favre and Ben Roethlisberger comparisons that were thrown around. And while you can talk about arm talent and, and size and kind of what these things mean in a positive way, in a playmaking way, they also mean, one, taking a ton of hits, and two, welcoming a lot of negative plays. You know, Wentz, this year, learned to throw the football away. And it was the great, like, like Wentz will throw the ball away on first and ten, and unironically, Eagles beats will be like, great play by Carson Wentz learning the football. <laughs> it's a fifth-year quarterback. Yeah. You know, we're just, like, stunned that he's able to risk manage and get rid of the football risk management pocket management are 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 terms we've thrown around a lot with Wentz over the years when you look at 2017 what was truly transcend transcendental with Carson Wentz and the Eagles offense in general was the third down efficiency and the red zone efficiency two things that generally don't say stay sticky year to year and this was when they had the brain trust of Frank Reich Jim Schwartz, uh, not Jim Schwartz, Frank Reich and John Filippo as their offensive coordinator and their quarterbacks coach. A lot of people have talked about, oh, there's no coach that gets into Carson Wentz's face in Philadelphia in 2020 and in 2019 under Mike Rowe and their quarterback coach been Press Taylor for the last few years. And Press Taylor and Carson Wentz are buddies and nobody gets in his face. Nobody pushes him. When it was Reich and Filippo, it's not like he was regularly getting screamed at, but those were two very established coaches who knew what they were doing and had a rookie they were responsible for molding. And in Doug Peterson's offensive coaching staff, in the way that he organizes his tasks for the week, Frank Reich was in charge of preparing the third down offense. Because remember, Doug Peterson calls plays. So Frank Reich wasn't calling plays, the offensive coordinator. Frank Reich was in in charge of developing the third down offense. And John DeFilippo, who is viewed as a future offensive coordinator, as you very well know from his time in Cleveland, uh, went on to Minnesota, went on to Jacksonville, has done some offensive coordinator things, now is the quarterback's coach with the Bears. 
to help prime him for his future as an offensive coordinator, he was given the red zone offense. So not only was he responsible for prepping Carson Wentz, not only was Reichert responsible for prepping Carson Wentz, they were responsible for these aspects of the offense, these critical high leverage downs. And the Eagles were nuts good on third down. I mean, it was third and 14, and, like, Eagles fans didn't even get it from their chair. They're like, God, what are you talking about? This is Wentz. Like, it's going to be 17 yards to Zach Ertz. I'm not sweating. And it, it was a disproportionate amount of the time. He was so good at extending the plays, so good at pushing the ball down the field, that you were able to pick these up. Red zone, with his arm strength, with his size, his ability to talk and run, he was a nightmare. He was so good. And so when we finished that 2017 season, it looked for a long time there that Reich wasn't going to leave and, and DeFilippo wasn't going to leave. And then all of a sudden, Josh McDaniels reneged on the Colts, and that really screwed over the Eagles. Yeah. And and in that departure, we talked about in the abstract that third down and red zone were going to regress back to the mean. These are things that are unsustainable. They're going to come back down. But Carson Wentz remains a really good playmaker. And so assuming he comes back healthy from injury, because remember the, uh, the ACL tear at the end against the Rams in 2017. Yep. Assuming he comes back healthy to injury, he'll still be able to make plays. Well, guess what? He wasn't healthy in 2018. <laughs> You know, he had back issues the entire time he was out there healthy. Eventually, they finally shelved him uh, when he clearly was not moving the way he needed to move. Without that escapability, without that movement ability, you compound that with now coaches who aren't getting you prepped for these high leverage downs the way that you were previously. And Carson Wentz is trying to make plays he is now physically incapable of making and unprepared to make from a team perspective. He doesn't have the same advantages on tendencies and expectations and, and how the defense is going to adjust to this, that, and the other thing. The Eagles were always one step ahead. And all of a sudden, coaching-wise, they felt one step behind. And Wentz no longer had that athletic ability, that miraculous playmaking ability to account for the gap. You go into 2019, and the Eagles now all of a sudden are getting ridiculously injured, and they're putting practice squad wide receivers out there. And you know who can't accept this reality of a nickel and dime passing offense in which he has to get rid of the ball quickly, which he can't leave the pocket because he's not fast enough, he's not strong enough, and he can't throw the ball down the field because he has no weapons? Carson Wentz, he hated it. Couldn't stand it. You could tell watching him play. It was so frustrating. It was so laborious. He was taking so many hits just to get eight yards instead of six. He was forcing scramble drills when he had open receivers. Getting to 2020 now, and it's just everything is as blown up he was trying to hold it's like spider-man holding the the two halves of the ships together right just getting stretched to his capacity and you can hear his joints groaning eventually something snaps and now he just doesn't trust himself doesn't trust the receivers doesn't trust his coaching staff offensive coaching staff has no idea what to do with him they have no idea what he's good at what he's bad at what he likes what he doesn't like because he's so haphazard he's so all over the place on any given down it's good bad hot cold nobody knows where he is they don't have a coach who as i alluded to earlier can sit down with him and say hey Shit, like, well, we gotta figure this out. Like, what is going on? Like, you have the standard. You have $134 million in your pocket. There's no, nobody gets in his face. Nobody, you know, forces an improvement from him. He is not a rah-rah, sis-boom-ba leader. He's not gonna get in the offensive line's face, the wide receiver's face. He's Mr., you know, level-headed. Oh, it's gonna be okay. We're so close. And so there's no gas. There's no juice. This has sucked. It sucked for a few years. They've all been watching it suck slowly and slowly. No one's been able to pull them out of it. Now they're here just shrugging their shoulders. They're like, ah, oh, this is the worst. Man, oh, shucks, darn it. Just slapping their knee. Nobody's got an answer. And so it's just, this has been a slow meteor dawning on Earth. Like, you knew it was going to be like a horrible crash when it arrives. There's nothing you could do about it. You're just kind of looking at me like, this is getting worse. And then here we are. And it's bad. So, so what's the end game here? Like, 
do you see is this salvageable like is the direction that this has gone and obviously it's a bad direction um especially right now i mean i think you look at some of the metrics around Wentz and he's just in the bottom of all of them like is there a way that this that this gets salvaged or like what do you see the next couple of years with both Wentz and this Eagles team man they have to try and that's the best I've got for you, which is extremely depressing and concerning. <laughs> um, right. We didn't even mention he who must not be named, Jalen Hurts. Uh, yes, my, uh, yes my favorite backup quarterback in the league. Yes, of course. I, I, and, and, you know, if you want to talk about – I talked about the coaching staff not being on the same page with Wentz. You want to talk about the front office not being on the same page with the coaching staff and the quarterback. Yeah. This is, is a unbelievable – like it's it's the meme of the guy whose brain is so big he's sitting on it, you know. Like it's just the the grandest idea you've ever had that you're like so excited about, and then you tell your folks, and they're just like, "What are you talking about? Like this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard." So Carson Wentz contract, they they're not getting out of this for two years, right? Like you know, people have talked about, oh, after 2021 you can cut him. You're gonna kill 25 million in 2022, and, and you would only pay about 30 million to keep him. On on the books, and that's with a COVID adjusted cap that's likely to come in 2022. I don't see how you're going to eat that much money for a quarterback who you've like seen be good. Like, there's definitely a way that he's good, uh, and so they've got another couple of years of this guy being the starter. And I don't think like like there's a call to bench Wentz and to put Hurts in there. But that call is largely predicated on we've got Hurts, we drafted him. I want to see what he freaking looks like. And also, I hate watching this offense. It's agonizing. Please put somebody else in who maybe can do something else. Give them a spark. It's it's. There's a lot of frustration with how Wentz is playing, but there's also a larger scope frustration with how the roster has been built poorly and how the coaching staff is using that roster poorly. Um, so a lot of the hurts is just exasperation. Like, he's here. You know what I mean? If it were just Nate Sudfeld behind Wentz, there wouldn't be as many calls uh, to bench Wentz. So he's not, like, fully, you know, lame duck for Philadelphia at this time, at least in the fan base. But there's there's a clear frustration with, with what he is right now. And for that reason, you know, not only – do they want to see him benched, but uh, want to see him benched for Hertz, but it also like might be good for him. There might be that mental break that he needs. You know, when he was, I'll put on the shelf with injury in 2018, a lot of it was like, all right, good. Like he's going to be able to take a mental break. Like Nick Foles is behind him. He, Foles gets called for every single week. Wentz is clearly in pain. Like just let, put him up for his own sake, you know, let him just wash this year away and, and get to 2019. So there's, there's a little bit of that sensation as well. With that said, when you're Jeffrey Lurie, who owns the Eagles, you sit down with Howie Roseman and, and Doug Peterson, and you say, listen, we, we we moved all those pieces that we gave to Cleveland to draft the quarterback. This is the guy we got, and we watched him play well. We watched him develop 2016 into 2017 into a Tier 2 quarterback in the league, arguably a future Tier 1 quarterback in the league. Since then, you and you have lost that guy. The team you've put together and the offense you've put together have lost that dude. You guys got to give me reasons to keep you here because I have a limited time frame to make this $130 million quarterback look like what he's supposed to look like. And if you can't do it, you're gone. And Peterson won a Super Bowl here. Rosen won a Super Bowl here. A lot of Eagles fans think Rosen's a bad general manager. I, he's a He's a good general manager. I mean, he went to maximize a winning window. 
he did not know that Carson Wentz was going to absolutely implode. And he's made some bad moves. There's no doubt about that. But to me, like, you know, you get a different general manager. Okay, you're going to draft a little bit better, but also you're not going to be in the same situation contract-wise. You're not going to be in the same situation decision-making-wise. Analytics isn't going to play as big of a part. So there's give and take there. But if uh, Roseman has failed over the course of four years to get Wentz one receiver, one, one good one, just, just, one. Just DeAndre Hopkins was available and, and Roseman was like, oh, but I'm so good at drafting. Like, dude, you are not. You need to trade for this guy. Like, so you've got Roseman issues and obviously Peterson cannot get an offensive coaching staff together, uh, the way he did with Reich and DeFlippo and he can't do it all on his own. So these are the guys that I think, you know, even if Wentz is gone, like even if there's no hope for Wentz, you have a, such a big money investment in him that Roseman and Peterson are going to take the axe for his struggles before Wences and you're going to bring in a different general manager and a different head coach. And when you go through that interviewing process, it's going to be, what are you going to do with 11? And if I believe that you can turn them around, then this potentially is the job for you. Two thousand twenty has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is crucial. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps find you quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore's total visits, so it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hire. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. It's crazy that it's wild how things change in the NFL. It's wild how the loss of certain coaches can make such a big difference. I think like you bringing that up reminds me of very much of sort of a little bit of, of Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, because obviously, you know, Baker has never reached, and I don't know if he ever will reach the heights of what of Carson Wentz did both as a rookie and, you know, 2017, like there's still um, a lot of people, myself included, sort of waiting to see him even come close to kind of playing like that quarterback. But, you know, as a rookie, very sort of similar, although, you know, Baker came in a little bit later, but, um, you know, defenses didn't really know what he was good at, what he was bad at. And he came in and sort of tore up, you know, the league offensively as a rookie. And um, that got a lot of people in Cleveland, myself included, thinking like, okay, this is the dude, like, look at this. This is by far the most talented quarterback we've seen in Cleveland um, since the Browns came back in 1999, like there's no question about it. And then 
we mentioned Freddie Kitchens at the beginning of this. Um, not that anybody his rookie year was getting in his face. Like Hugh Jackson was not a dude that was going to – Hugh Jackson was like putting his arm around him and being a weird guy that you saw on Hard Knocks, like all that stuff. Like I don't think right. anybody his rookie year was was that. But I think Baker at that time was just trying to come in and, you know, he got uh, – I think he was pissed off that they just automatically decided that Tyrod Taylor was going to start and he was going to sit. I think that bothered him. And so then when, you know – Tyrod got hurt on that Thursday night game against the Jets and Baker came in like he was like I'm taking this and I'm not letting it go so he had a little bit of fire underneath him and he was playing well um despite you know the coaching staff the, the Browns had in place and then obviously you know Hugh gets fired that year um and Freddie Kitchens comes in and they're running this offense and things are going great and you feel really good about it and then you mentioned something that was really interesting about um one of the, I think maybe it was the quarterback's coach, but somebody just being very buddy-buddy with Carson Wentz. Um, mm-hmm. And that feels very similar to what happened with Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens, where, you know, there were reports that Baker Mayfield, like, FaceTimed into Freddie Kitchens' head coaching interview with John Dorsey, which is just, like, a really weird thing to do, I think, for an interview. And that was probably yeah. a foreshadowing of, like, things to come. There's clips. There were clips from his rookie year on the sideline of his interactions with Freddie Kitchens that were very buddy-buddy. Um, and then I think you sort of saw that manifest itself into last season where it was the same thing. Like nobody was getting in Baker's face. Baker's leaving the pocket and just doing all sorts of stuff and throwing terrible interceptions. And it didn't seem like there was anybody inside that organization that had the balls to sort of pull him aside and be like, Hey man, you're playing like shit. Like, what are you doing? And, um, Freddie Kitchens was not that guy. Freddie Kitchens, it became very clear one just was not ready to be a head coach in any capacity, but two was Baker Mayfield's guy. And I, and also was sort of, it came out later that, you know, this was sort of John Dorsey wanted to hire somebody. He felt like he had a little bit of control over and he didn't want to bring in somebody from outside the organization, you know, who who is not Kevin Stefanski, who is now the head coach was the runner up and was the guy that Paul DePodesta wanted. But, you know, Dorsey had the final say and it it felt very much like Dorsey did not want to bring in somebody from the outside who was going to, want to have that authority as a head coach. And um, I think that really set Baker back uh, like hugely. Now, you know, as we look to this season, Baker has been pretty up and down um, and also hasn't been asked to do a lot. Obviously the Browns have become a very run heavy team um, and have found at least against the easier parts of their schedule, a lot of success that way. We've seen sort of what's happened when Baker has been asked to beat a good defense with his arm and it, it hasn't, happened I'm kind of curious for your (laughs) perspective on um, sort of outside perspective on on Baker Mayfield and you know it's only year three for him but the Browns are kind of coming up on you know the decision with his kind of fifth year option and and whether he's a guy that they're going to want to sign to a contract that's going to be long term and a lot of money uh, once his rookie deal is up and um, that's Mm -hmm. a big decision for them I'm curious what you've seen from Baker from his rookie season up until kind of what he looks like now. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I'll be honest. I, when I talked about the Browns moves under Sasha in terms of we're going to acquire the capital such that we can go get the quarterback that we want to get in the future, that plan got 65% of the way there. And then Sashi was fired and Dorsey was hired and Dorsey is a good talent evaluator. There's no two ways about that. Uh, you know, Dorsey, uh, he had a uh, short and rather explosive tenure in Cleveland. Uh, you know, he was what? Three years general manager. Mm-hmm. I had three drafts. Yep. Um, and obviously, not every pick there was a hit. But Dorsey's one of the better talent evaluators in the league. Mayfield, at first overall in 2018, was kind of like, this is the guy you you did all this work for. 
You know, like and and like they don't they didn't have to trade up for that pick. You know, they they got that pick off the you know sweat of their own backs there, losing as many games as they did. <laughs> but uh, you know, that was a such a talented quarterback class. You know, five guys who were viewed as potential first rounders, five end up going in the first round. Mayfield having that that truly spectacular season, uh, Oklahoma walk on. You know. Uh, kind of great comeback story and he was fit for the modern NFL and I liked Baker you know I'd, I'd around one on Baker but Baker was a a later grade for me because there's physical tools limitations there's you know like you talked about rolling out to the right tendencies he likes to escape the pocket so to me like you know they, they make him that pick and obviously that was the thing off the draft day we didn't even really know who it was going to be and they make that pick and it's like all right like this could work he wasn't the the true you know gem in the crown first overall grade quarterback guy that perhaps you wanted to come in. So I think that, right, he starts from behind there. And as the Heisman joke goes on the commercial, he can only really perform well when he's doubted, you know, when, when uh, he's under pressure, he comes in that season. It's like, what will the rookie look like? And the rookie looks great. And then expectations are high in year two and, and he underachieves them. I think getting attached with Kevin Stefanski was really, really good for him. I think that that's a, an important thing because if there's anything we've seen from that, offense that family it's that it's got a floor of case keenum and that case keenum floor is pretty stinking high you know like it, it, yeah. there's a uh and there's a, a a bottom that you're not really gonna hit as long as you stay out of your own way i mean this offense has gotten Kirk cousins two contract extensions and Kirk cousins is not baker mayfield like there's there's differences but in terms of natural talent i said mayfield wasn't like the most naturally talented prospect he's got more talent than kirk does you know and, and kirk's just good at staying out of his own way and occasionally making a big play and that's kind of if you just get that out of mayfield then you're going to be successful now we've seen across the first eight weeks of the season this struggle in getting mayfield acclimated to the the passing concepts that Stefanski wants to give him. And that's something that I think was anticipated. You don't go from a Freddie Kitchens, Todd Monken, shotgun, spread it out, air raid offense to heavy under center play action, throwing constantly on the move, and it just clicks right away, uh, especially with, with the offensive background that Mayfield's had throughout his college career. With that said, the injuries to Nick Chubb and to Wyatt Teller and Jack Conklin and Odell, they don't help. Because you, there's a lot of cohesion, a lot of timing is important in these offenses. And obviously the running game is critical in this offense. And so that I think puts a little bit of a damper on what you've seen through 10 weeks for the Browns, which to me is a pretty good transition to offense. Like I said, there was a ramp up and there's some injuries, but overall, I don't think uh, to me, I look at this, this Browns team and, and off of what you got from Baker in 2019 and you say, yeah, you know what? That, Browns game, or excuse me, that Ravens game was bad. That is concerning. We need to sit down and figure out what Mayfield is seeing against these blitz packages and why he's getting so flustered, how he's throwing these bad picks. You look at what he did against Pittsburgh as well, and you're saying, okay, I mean, this is like he, this heavy blitz zone dropping style of defense is confounding him right now, and that's a problem. But when the Browns are able to run the football, Mayfield largely is a mistake-free quarterback. And then you'll even get games like you got against Cincinnati, where if he understands what he's looking at in the passing game, he can really shred it. You know, if he's confident pointing and shooting, like Mayfield's got all the throws in his quiver, and he is capable of staying a step ahead of defense. He's capable of making really good decisions on the run. So there's ebb and flow here. And I think you have to continue sitting down and figuring that out. Cohesion will help another year with Kevin Stefanski. 
another year with a really good running game and the same offensive line. Cleveland's improvements on the offensive line are very important to Baker. So I, I think that you still have those red flag games that tell you, yeah, you know, Mayfield's not all the way there yet. We're not all the way there yet as an offense. But when you look at the body of work, especially when the team's been healthy and the weather hasn't been like tempestuous, <laughs> this the offense is, is good. This, this, this is an offense that can take you to the playoffs. This is an offense that can win you a playoff game. Is Mayfield the primary engine behind it? Probably not, but that's okay. And when we're talking about this style of offense, as long as you stay out of your own way and don't make backbreaking mistakes, this thing hums. It, it, it purrs like a kitten. This engine will run without you. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because, um, I think this probably happened with Wentz too. I think, like, I was unaware of how much the attachment between Baker and like Cleveland Browns fans, which I consider myself like <clears throat> obviously a Cleveland Browns fan, but I'm in a similar boat uh, to you where it's like, I am both a fan, but also someone who, you know, is enjoys breaking down the game and, and looking at stuff and looking at how players can improve and what they do well and what they don't do well. And like any negative words about Baker right now set sort of my mentions on fire, which is um, sure. a very fast. I was unaware of the, <laughs> of how strongly people are, people feel about Baker. And I think part of it too is like, okay, yes, the Browns are six and three for the first time. And uh, since 2014, they're, they very well over these next couple of weeks, you know, could be looking at like eight and three and nine and three. Like these are heights the Browns haven't reached um, since the 1980s. Like it's just not something that happens. So um, I think, you know, it, it's interesting balancing that, but also like feeling sort of like, yeah, Baker is a very sort of streaky quarterback right now. He is obviously learning this offense really well. Um, or it, taking time to learn this offense, obviously in a COVID shortened sort of off season, like there, there are a lot mm-hmm. of factors um, at play where I think like, I, I very much look forward to next season as well, when he's sort of had a full off season after experience in this offense and what's the fancy has been able to do with Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt in this running game and sort of the, the play action based um, and bootleg based offense is phenomenal. And I do think you're right. Like attack, getting Baker and getting Kim Stefanski in here. Uh, was a really, really big deal, especially after what right. happened last season. Um, it's just, it, it's interesting week to week. Baker just feels like he is a very streaky quarterback. He gets into rhythms and you're like, wow, like this is the dude we saw his rookie year. This is the dude that can make all the throws and his arm strength is phenomenal. Um, then he goes through patches where you're like, I have no idea what he was looking at. And I don't know why he threw that ball. So it, it, it is, it continues to be a work in progress. Um, and it is just sort of interesting to look back on these two quarterbacks as we sort of finish up here. But, um, you know, I think Carson Wentz, even as we go down the line, like he'll just always be a name that for, I think people in Cleveland, like that draft is something that is always just really going to stand out. Um, and I think, so we'll always sort of look at Carson Wentz and how he's doing and sort of compare him to the quarterback, the Browns eventually brought in with all that cap space or, um, sorry, not cap space, draft picks mm-hmm. and, and draft capital and all that. But, uh, yeah, it's just really interesting as they sort of, you know, this will be the first time they quote unquote match up um, since obviously in 2016, Baker is not in the league yet. So right. it, it is going to be a really interesting sort of storyline game about these two franchises that both really probably needed a quarterback in 2016. One chose to make a move up for one and the other was like, you know what, we're going to kick the quarterback can down the road a little bit because we've got a lot of other things to figure out. And that regime really didn't get to you know, see that plan all the way through. So it's just always really interesting to look at Carson, to look at Baker, and we're going to get to see them on the same field for the first time, albeit in um, another uh, bad weather game. It looks like it's going to be raining in Cleveland on Sunday. So great. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> wait raining, for the third straight uh, game of that. Right. Browns have COVID positives. The Eagles literally 10 <laughs> minutes ago just confirmed they've got a COVID positive. So this, this, oh man, this game's going to be w- weird. 
not not as expected in a lot of different ways. So it's going to be super yeah. weird as long as the wind isn't blowing like seventy miles per hour like it was. Like rain is one thing. Last week was like just the wind was insane. I'm hoping I don't mm-hmm. I haven't looked at what the wind's going to be like, but I'm hoping that the wind just like relaxes a little bit. It's hard because obviously the Browns are right on Lake Erie, so like there's always wind, but um. Hopefully it's just not what it was last weekend because that was just like that was just horrible. Yeah, and I mean, if it's a huge windy day, and then obviously wild conclusions are drawn by from this game by either fan base, which everyone emerges emerges victorious, right? Like especially for Browns fans, if Wentz comes out there and is as he has been terrible, yeah. it's gonna be like, oh yeah, he's the worst. We were so smart, we're the best. And then Baker's also terrible because the wind, and it's just gonna be like Eagles fans be like, nope, Baker sucks, and no one's gonna actually have any good data points <laughs> to go off of because yeah. this is unthrowable weather. Yeah, looking forward to dealing with that for a whole week. Yeah, no, it's gonna be great. Twitter, as as it always is, will be a very fun place. Football is back and in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ben, I I wanted to end with just one really important question for you. Um, Oh, no. I was hoping you weren't going to ask this. Well, I don't know if this is um, the question you think that I'm going to ask. um, Because this really has nothing to do with the Browns or Eagles. This is Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I was positive you were going to ask me who would I want right now, given what I know, Mayfield or Wentz. And I was going to have to plead the fifth. Oh, wow. No, I wouldn't do that to you. That's too much right now. Um, No, this is is way more important. Um, Did Justin Herbert copy your hairstyle that's the question that i wanted to ask did he see pictures of you and say it's time for me to cut my hair i mean i never had the full slick back flow you know what i mean like i've got like the side part and like it's long now because i just don't go to the, the barber in the current you know context but i never had the full just like i could put this thing in a ponytail if i wanted to um and Back when I started college, I accidentally got my head shaved because <laughs> I had no idea how to communicate to Chicago barbers what I needed done. I was a little guppy man out of Pennsylvania who just, like, never had to speak to a hair service employee and ever because there was only like, two haircuts that people got. Uh, and so I once had my head, like, shaved, shaved like he did. And he just, like, one guard all the way around. And it's it's not a great vibe. I respect him for having to do a press conference immediately afterward. I also, knowing Justin, like, you know, having spoke with him during the pre-draft process, would not be surprised if he actually does not care. Like, he's just like, yeah, this is my hair. Like, I just, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be my hair and this is the way it is because he's, like, level-headed like that. But listen, this is bad. This is not, like, his agent is kind of like, you have got to be kidding. Dude, I need you to care about, like, very minor things and this is one of them. You can't just be like, yeah, the strength and conditioning coach cut my hair. I make $28 million on my current contract. Like, that's just, <laughs> my dude, we yeah. have got to talk about image and branding. Yeah, I feel like he brief, I feel like he got bullied into the haircut by the strength yeah. and conditioning coach. He was like, please let me right. cut your hair. Please let me cut your hair. And one day he was yeah. like, alright, dude, whatever. Cut it. My it's running hard. theory is he had a bet with Tua. And not that Tua would have to cut his hair, but like, yeah. you know, come 
went out five and six. Like they were rookies, obviously, like came through the process together. They, my bet, my guess is that they had a bet on that game and they each like made the other guy put up something they knew they cared about. And two was like, you have to shave your head. Two probably knows he hasn't gotten his haircut in three years. Yeah. Uh, and so if so, go Dolphins. Proud that they won. Wonder what the <laughs> other side of it was. My, um, my wife works in news and she doesn't call football at all. And I was breaking down the Justin Herbert haircut drama to her and she was like, doesn't he have somebody in his life to stop him? And I was like, I don't know. Like, cause for her, like, you know, uh, anchors and reporters can't get haircuts without being approved by the, you know, approved by the, uh, the, the news outlet. She's like, don't, doesn't somebody at the Chargers have to check in on this? I was like, I don't think it works the same way, but I'm sure they wish they did. Yeah. I'm sure they wish they did. I also bet he, he was unprepared for the amount of attention he was going to get at the press conference. And now he's probably like, Oh, what, what have I done? Right now he, Herbert, Herbert's ideal world is he plays football on Sundays and then Monday to Saturday, he just like lives in the facility and never talks to anybody. Right. He's such a quiet dude. And so he's not even the sort of guy like to get questions about this and like understand, not understand that it's a joke. He's smart, but like get in on the joke. Like, like, you know, I'm sure like the reporters like, Hey, it's like, what's up with the haircut buddy. And he was just like, very matter of fact, this is what it is. Why you asked me this thing. He's just (laughs) so such, such a straight arrow. And just, I, that photo, just him, just the blank expression, the shaved head kills me yeah no it's absolutely perfect for <clears throat> the type of personality that he is just him being like what's the big deal you know <laughs> this like, how, this so. is, the hair was long and now it's short these are the way that these things go check in with you tomorrow <laughs> um cool well ben thanks so much for joining me man this is a really fun conversation uh, appreciate your perspective on the ego side of things and um yeah let's get weird with it this, this weekend let's have a weird game um yeah. well, nine to possible. six in overtime ideally <laughs> nine just to six so that everybody and, uh, hates it yeah, torrential downpour, and um, that's, you know, really all you can ask for. So uh, I'll look forward to watching the game, and uh, we will have to chat again down the road. Appreciate you having me on, Jordan. You'd be well, man.